Hey there. Hi and howdy everybody. It's your boy JRG coming at you with another episode of the Geekdom Underground podcast. Super excited to be in the studio with a legend today. But before we get into that, who are you? A legend. Good morning, everybody. My name is Philip Hernandez here from Geekdom, Geekdom CEO. <laughs> oh, promotion. <laughs> yeah, I just promoted myself. <laughs> Dang. Nah, y'all know me. I'm Philip Hernandez, Geekdom COO. And we are super pumped about today's episode, Geekdom Underground. You're right. We do. We have a legend. The legend <laughs> himself, Alberto Pina. Co-founder of Roston Homes, you you've probably heard the call. Oh yes, you yeah, heard the call. It, it. it echoes like through the whole Rand building whenever uh, <laughs> whenever Alberto's around, and then uh, and then quickly followed by by your boy JRG. <laughs> so let's get after it. Um, again, super excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here, Mister Alberto Pina. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, so. Here on Geekdom Underground, we get right into it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How'd you get here? How'd I get to Geekdom? Yeah. Um, I I got laid off the Thanksgiving before I got here. And Geekdom's where I figured out what I was going to do with my life after the fact. Right on. What were you doing? Uh, well, I, I was in the manufactured housing industry. Um, so we did that for about eight years before getting here and starting what, what we ended up starting. Um, but I originally came to Geekdom to do some kind of consulting, marketing or sales consulting. And I, I put a couple consulting blogs up on the Geekdom Slack channel and like nobody read it. And then <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of my team members I'd worked with in the past said, hey, why don't we do our own manufactured home thing? And one thing led to another. Here we are. Dang, there's the the origin story. Yeah, it, we did not come to Geekdom to start Broston. It it happened after we got here. That's awesome. Well, can I just fun fact, a little backstory. I remember because you were involved in Geekdom like early days, but you had I guess come back and forth, mm -hmm. left, come back. When I first started working at Geekdom, you were one of the first people. I think it was you and your brother Jason um, that I onboarded in my training process. It was Crystal Reynolds. Dang. She was training me and she was like, Hey, I want you to onboard the next people that come in. And it was you and your brother. And I was super nervous. <laughs> that's some dang, yeah. that's some geekdom history. Yeah, that's right back then. in the day. Some geekdom lore. <laughs> so so we'll get into it. We'll talk about geekdom and all the things that you've done here. And mm -hmm. your story is and you make it sound like so easy. That's how easy it is, y'all. Just, just show up and then <laughs> yeah. make an amazing company. But let's talk about a little bit um earlier on. Where are you from? From San Antonio. So you've been here all your life. Uh, I was born, raised here, um, left for school, high school, college, um, spent a couple of years doing different things in Arizona, California, and decided to come back here. Nice. What, um, when you, when you went away for school, where'd you go? For high school, I went to, uh, down the Valley, um, Harlingen, Texas, got a football scholarship to Marine Military Academy down there. Right on. You played football. A little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, and then. So Harlingen, and then where'd you go to college? Um, I spent two years up at Annapolis, Maryland at the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, went up there to play football, had a couple shoulder surgeries, things didn't work out, and um, ended up going to Arizona from there. So so you like football? I love football. <laughs> yeah, fo football did not like my shoulder, but I, I, <laughs> yeah. like, I love football. Was that something that you wanted to pursue at some point, like be a professional football player? 
Um, I don't know about professional. I, I 100% wanted to play at, at the D1 level. Um, just never got opportunity to take the field. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm three shoulder surgeries deep at this point. So it's, um, you know, my advice to anybody that's playing high school would be to not take it too serious because you know you got to get old after the fact and your body body's got to be there with you yeah yeah you got to chill out a little bit yeah a little bit a little pace bit. yourself and my son just started he's he's a freshman now and he's he's playing high school football and it's you know he had a little injury um and trying to have that conversation like you know slow, slow down Take, you need your body your whole life <laughs> but also being in at 14 at a time and remembering football was life yeah that's that's everything for you yeah um so when did you when were you exposed to mobile homes manufactured homes that was i mean way back when i was, I was 23 um the country was just coming out of you know the housing crisis um i, I started in the industry in 09 and that was right after the, the economy had collapsed um it, it was the first economic collapse millennials lived through um and there just wasn't a big market for people that almost graduated college right it, it was a tough market if you had even tougher since i i did not have a degree and a buddy of mine we had worked at the mall selling cell phones together and um he got a job at, at palm harbor selling manufactured homes and was making good money and they just didn't care what the background was if you could talk to people so one yeah. thing led to another there you go yeah so, so, so you started so you started in sales started in sales and um i legitimately drove to the parking lot for my interview and just sat there and almost turned around because i didn't all i knew about the industry was what you see on tv right there, yeah. there's the double wide torn around wizard of oz and um and so i it wasn't something i thought i wanted to be a part of but um i just really needed a job and sales sales didn't care what what, what my resume was or wasn't and you know that's how that's how i dipped my toes in yeah so you so what drew you in was the sales part not so much the manufactured homes but like you had you were doing retail with selling mobile homes i mean with selling mobile phones yeah uh, so then it just made sense to to make that jump and then go sell a different product yeah um and honestly even beyond that just i'd had 12 jobs in in a year year and a half leading up to that so i i was just really trying to i, I thought i knew what what my life was going to be and you know, go to Naval Academy, take the next step. And then, and then when it didn't work out, it, it took a minute to figure out what my thing was going to be. It's funny how that works out. <clears throat> yeah. When like you have this picture, picture perfect plan in your head of like, this will be my logical next step. Yeah. And then something just totally derails that. For sure. Um, so, so what was that like going from, um, you know, selling mobile phones in the, in the mall, which, you know, to me, that's, that's a hustle. That's a grind. Like yeah. I, I work retail in the mall and I'm assuming you're in like a kiosk or yeah. something. Yeah. That's, right by the food court. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That, that, that's difficult work. How was that making that transition into a more formal, um, a more formal role that I'm assuming had like um, stricter commissions and, and just more salesy kind of a role. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, there was definitely a process. Um, which initially was it was good trying to learn a new industry and a new system you it's helpful to walk into you know a process that's worked in the past right um you know super formal in, in terms of we had to wear suits shirts and ties every day and um at first that was cool you know you got to play dress up and you know i got a whole closet full of suits hopefully i never have to wear again <laughs> um because eventually you realize like 
we're selling single wides and double wides. Our customers only dress like this if they're going to a funeral or going to get married. And, you know, depending on who we're talking to, neither one of those days could be good memories in their life. So why, why are we dressing up in suits and ties to talk to folks that, that that's just not them? Yeah. You know, um, but there was I learned a just insane amount. Um, and then once I I learned what I could from the people that were doing it, that's when the questions started coming up. Like, why are, why are we still doing it the same way we've done it? forever 40 years ago yeah so tell me about that like when you say the same way like what's it you make it you make it sound like and i think we've had conversations like this but you make it sound like like all the processes are antiquated like they made processes then they just never changed them what 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 processes are you talking about um i mean everything right to the point where i had to learn how to use a fax machine like this is like 20 2010 like we, we had computers the internet was a thing yeah. um yeah, 10 11 years ago yeah. yeah um you know facebook there all the stuff we have now it's not like this was back in the 80s when you know cell phones weren't even a thing but had to learn how to use a fax machine pen and paper fill having people fill out four or five different pieces of paper and just um you know at that point even like amazon was around and in we were used to buying stuff online and seeing pricing and, and that was already a thing, not as big as it is now, but it, it was a big part of it. Right. And, um, you know, CarMax at the time was doing it with big ticket items, but it, it was very much, uh, you know, there just wasn't a price online. There, there actually wasn't anything online. I, I used a, a program like Wix mm -hmm. like my first six months in the business to make a website for myself because a lot of, we had to do our own personal marketing and mm. the, the prescription at the time was to do these things they called bandit signs because they're you know they were legal but it, it was basically these these 25 cent pieces of cardboard that you'd write on you know three two double wide on land and you go hang them on telephone poles at two in the morning um and, and try not to get caught but that that was our source of marketing at the time and it just didn't make sense when we had things like you know, the internet and facebook yeah. and you know cell phones none of just a lot of things just didn't make sense to me um but it's how they were doing it. it's how they had done it and, and they were successful at doing it so at first i listened i learned it i did it and then i came to the conclusion that just wasn't gonna work for me yeah so i'm, I'm picturing like like palm harbor folks like in dressed in suits and then like at two in the morning putting like cardboard on <laughs> on telephone poles is that really what it's like like is that something 100 um so i i was i was cleaning out my i've got a 1972 oldsmobile cutlass um and i actually bought off a customer that first year they they needed a house needed down payment had a sweet car no down payment sweet car i bought the car they bought the house um hmm. but anyways leroy one of our first customers from Boston, master mechanic um him and i are about to fix that sucker up make it the Boston mobile hey. but i'm going through the trunk and i haven't gone through this trunk in like a decade and i find these bandit signs that elsa my wife she her handwriting was much prettier than mine through, through our A-B testing, we realized if she wrote on the bandit signs, more people called than if I did it. Oh, wow. Uh, and there was like 20 of these suckers in the back of the trunk. And it just took us way, way back. Like some of our first dates were her and I driving around the hill country or outskirts of San Antonio, just hanging these things up, right? We, we couldn't afford Starbucks coffee, but we got the gas station hot chocolate, the gas station coffee, and we drive around putting these things up. Wow. That's how we did marketing. Man. and like 2010 2011 back then they had solutions like 
Redfin or Realtor.com and Zillow. Yeah. And so seeing that, like, uh, why wouldn't there be a, a solution for manufactured homes? That was that was the question I struggled with. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of big companies like to ask for solutions, and so at, at first it was you know they're asking, and I got these ideas. Let's talk about it. And um, you know, initially a lot of that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can only talk about something for so long before you know while watching nothing change and nothing happen before you just realize this if if you want to see something change you're gonna to have to do it yourself did um uh, did anybody else share the same like feeling or did you feel like they were just kind of like yeah alberto like that's cool you think about that <laughs> <laughs> um my brother did um but other than that it was and, and i i get it right they're they're still to this day successful doing it the way they've done it the last 40 years right and when you find something that works, it it is hard at times to to change that, right? Like I I understand the mindset of if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. I can't think that way, but I understand why others do if something is working and successful. Yeah. Do you do you think that uh people still think that way? That like if it's not broke, don't fix it? Or do you think that with your generation that's kind of shifted? in our industry or just in general both yeah either um i think before covid yes right if i'm talking about just in general right um after covid i think we're seeing something from these this baby boomer generation that we just would have never seen and that they were forced to use computers to talk to family they had to zoom Mm -hmm. during the pandemic they had to learn what e-commerce was they had to go you know, a lot of things they just wouldn't have had to do if COVID wouldn't have happened. Um, and at least from what we're seeing at Broston, we, we've got more 70-something-year-olds buying homes from us right now, sight unseen, completely online, over the phone. Like, we just didn't build Broston for that demographic. We didn't expect that to ever work. Yeah. Um, but I think what we're seeing globally now is that the older generations realizing that some of this technology that, you know the younger generations have been screaming about it's actually kind of fun it's kind of cool it's super convenient and and i think for the first time in the history of the world we're seeing a backwards adoption of technology um because it was just forced yeah yeah <clears throat> you said that um you know you were at uh I'm, what was it palm harbor you know what it's called yeah so you were there um at what point did you well how long were you there for uh almost four years Okay, so so till about 2014. Um, yeah, around about um, I ended up. You know, I took over my first store as general manager right before my one year anniversary, um, and this was right when oil and gas was starting to pop off down here, the Eagleford Shale down south, um, out west, and um, using this internet marketing we had come up with, we we found some sizable oil field clients to the point where, um you know, all the other retail general managers kind of, it wasn't fair to put our numbers next to theirs because we were doing big accounts. And so they pulled us out of retail and kind of created this oil service commercial division. So we'd be on our own Island, but, um, so we're, we're doing hotels, banks, um, country club resorts, the Alsatian RV resort in Casterville is actually a modular commercial project we worked on. And, um, 
So it was cool to see all sides of, of the industry and that ended up paying off down, down the road. Yeah. Um, that, that's interesting. Cause you had said earlier that like, you know, before you joined Palm Harbor, you had, you had this like perception of manufactured homes, like what you see in the movies or TV. And, and I'm, I'm with you. Like when mm -hmm. I, when I met you and when you started telling me more about manufactured homes, I had no idea the, the customers that were out there, the market that was out there. I didn't know what these manufactured homes look like in 2021. Yeah. Like they're totally different. They're beautiful, like homes. I'm, I remember you told me that you've thought about putting your family in one. And I'm like, bro, you have like five people. <laughs> like how, but, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're amazing. So um, at what point did your perception change? And um, what was something unexpected about like the, the customers that you were selling to? My perception changed that first day I went in um, during the interview. They, they walked me through um, what's called a triple wide. So three sections. I mean, we're talking 3,400 square foot um, Taj Mahal, the factory built housing. Um, and on the inside, we're going through and this thing's nicer than the house I'm living. Um, how nicer in the house I grew up in and just immediately, you know, I, I was blown away. It was yeah. incredible looking. Yeah. Cause, cause like what you're talking about, like I, I didn't even think about that, that like back then in, in, uh, you know, 2010, 11, when the oil and gas is going big, like everybody wants one of those manufactured homes and, and, you know, they want nice ones, you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if they're going to be, um, you know, like working a couple months on a couple months off and living out of that and like yeah they're they're really nice so that's really interesting was uh palm harbor the place that you got laid off from uh that was a different place so you went to it so you stayed uh, in manufactured homes but, but i did get laid off from palm harbor, went to <laughs> I, I was that <laughs> after the second layoff it, it was back to back and both right around thanksgiving like it was the second thanksgiving i had to sit around the table with my family and they're all freaking out and scared and um you know by then my my wife was taking care of our four kids and, and so like i i had to make money right so it, the whole family's freaking out that i don't have a job right now for the second time in a row and i was like even if it fails if i get cut again if like if we're doing this again at thanksgiving it's gonna be 100 percent on me and my fault um and i was just done with it yeah how'd you cope how did i cope with getting laid off yeah and and having the the pressure and the weight um family on thanksgiving a lot of time spent in the middle of the river by myself just trying to figure it out right yeah. um and it you know with, with the kids and with elsa you kind of just have to even if inside you're like oh shit what what am i gonna do you know you have to project this yeah, i got this I got it. We'll, we'll get it figured out yeah um and really i mean that was part of coming coming to geekdom for the those two months was trying to figure out what i was gonna do because i i had no clue yeah so but, yeah so you came here on that thanksgiving mm -hmm. and that's what 2015 um it was 2016 we came in the holidays 2016 2016 yeah so you come here in 2016 the holidays and around that time code up had already started merge there's already there's already quite a few success stories that have come out of geekdom mm -hmm. so you came here just to or why did you come to Geekdom? <laughs> so 
my brother and I, Jason, we we tried for the first day at my house. Like, all right, we're going to do work from home, and this is going to be awesome. And um, you know, I've, yeah, I've got four kids. Kids are um, they're loud, and that's that's what kids should be. And because Jason was there, that first day was like a a talent show, and and all th- all four of them kept coming in. Hey, Uncle Jason, look what I can do. What do you think <laughs> of this? And it was just nonstop. And we're yeah. two hours into it, we're looking at each other like this is never ever going to work we gotta find something um i know the feeling yeah (laughs) yeah and when when it's the right time it's it's the best thing ever yeah um when you're trying to hunker down heads down and and figure your life out um you know not and so we we went to a buddy of mine he had a a back office at his place um he was gonna let us work there for free so we thought we had that figured out and then his internet went and it wasn't going to be back up for like a month. No, oh, wow. um, and so it, it was this series of events, and we still joke about it. Can you imagine if his if Jorge's internet didn't go out? Like we would have <laughs> not come to Geekdom, and really none of this would have ever happened. Dude, shout out Jorge's internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, Jorge. Yep. Yeah. Let's bring him in. Yeah. <laughs> we have him on deck. Bring him in. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So then, so um when you say that like y'all were working you weren't actively working on broston at the time no we originally it was going to be this consulting yeah thing because y'all both had like sales back i'm assuming jason had a mm-hmm. similar background yeah sale really sales is kind of his bread and butter marketing's um you know always been my favorite thing and in, in the modern era they're really one in the same right um so we had it all figured out we we created a, a website it was, it was broston consulting group um pretty sure I mean, I i've been on it in a few years but pretty, <laughs> I, I think it's still up yeah um and that's originally what it was we we started writing blogs um trying to get those out once a week and um yeah that that's that, crazy i remember that i remember you coming in and before uh broston homes was ever a thing you know uh it's just really cool to think back on that. Just I was, I was there before. Yeah. Hey, when it all when it all happened, I got to see it happen too. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like seeing you and the small team, you know, around the eighth floor, y'all had that same spot, you know, yeah. Ralston Row. Yeah, Ralston <laughs> Row. it's called that. So, so you, uh, so y'all are there. You're doing your consulting thing. You make your way over to Geekdom and. Um, you're trying to spread your message that this is what we do and this is how we can be helpful. Mm-hmm. At what point did y'all, um, like, at what point was Broston a thing? And w- w- at what point did Broston transition from this is our consulting company to like, maybe we can solve this mm-hmm. gap? Um, you know, here downtown and in the community, I think for that first month, we we were probably those guys that came into the community and were trying to sell the whole community stuff. Like I'm sure that's how we came across. And, um, you know, our, our, the only people we were getting to say yes out the gate were people from the industry. And, you know, I, I, I knew the numbers. And I knew, like, if I brought them X, what that was going to mean to them and then what they were looking to pay to bring that. It's like that math just doesn't. Like one, I know we'll bring you a lot of that, um, but that math just doesn't ex- add up. If we're going to do that and build it, we're like one step away from just doing the whole thing ourselves. 
Yeah. And, and that was the transition. Gotcha. <clears throat> gotcha. Um, and so when you, right now, what does, what does Broston Holmes do today? Um, man, so many different things, but you know, at, at the, the end of the day, what we're trying to deliver is a roof over a family's head. Um, and so there's a lot of different parts. You, you know, you got to have a piece of land to build on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we've gotten into that game now where we're finding land and, and developing it and putting all the utilities, all the stuff you need to make a house work. Um, the home part was the big one out the gate, you know, helping people buy homes that um, entirely online over the phone. Same way we buy everything in our everything. life. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that now, did you buy that now, Gene, in the store? I did not buy this Nalgene in the store. I did buy this Nalgene in the store, but but that's rare. That is rare. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, ca- I will say camping gear and fishing gear are, are like the only thing I buy in the store just because I like being in one of those stores. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but most everything else. Most everything I, else. I buy right? online. Yeah. So at this point, we've helped over 400 families build a house in, in, in a place to live. And I'd say 300 plus of those we've never met in person ever, ever face to face, probably never going to. Um, and, and it's, it's just wild to me, Blow that, that blows my mind. And then the third part now is it, you got to have financing yeah. and we, we get cash buyers here and there, but that's not, that's not the market we set up to serve. Yeah. Right? We, we intentionally built something to serve the, um, low to middle income populations in our communities. And not a lot of them walking around with hundred K cash. Right. Yeah. Um, so you got to have the financing part. And I guess we can say we're going live Friday. We're, we're rolling out a new fintech product. Hey. Um, dang. And you heard it here Ooh, first. Folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's our live studio audience. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, we're looking to build, we've already built something that we really think will help solve a lot of problems on the financing side. Um, and so we'll see what happens. But all of that came, we didn't even know what fintech was when we got here. Yeah. Right. Any of the R's, the ARs, the VRs, not, that, that's <laughs> all stuff that Geekdom helped us learn about, find the people to build it. And that's why we're the mobile home geeks, man. Man, that is, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, that's so innovative to go from 10 years ago, you were, you know, riding around in the dead of night (laughs) (laughs) nailing cardboard to telephone poles to you're less than 24 hours away from launching this innovative techie product that that's super amazing impressive and inspiring um i want to go back to when you said that you've sold y'all broston has helped put so many families in homes and they're people that you've never met at Palm Harbor, when you were selling those homes, did you have, did you meet the people that you were selling? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I imagine that the impact and the volume that you're able to move this way is much more than when you're having to like have these face to face interactions because you have to like work around people's schedules mm-hmm. and things also. Um, so, what's that like going from, like meeting and like having a relationship with each person you sell a home versus now you're able to sell a lot more and maybe do it like um in parallel but now you don't get to meet and see them Mm. what's that like you know the biggest part is the relationship i I think is actually better in 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 
we get more involved with families now from a relationship standpoint than we did in the past, right? Um, and really what changed is we got rid of this whole transactional relationship, right? So a lot of people think if it's in person, face-to-face, -face, it's more of a relationship. Mm -hmm. But if you think of, I mean, the best way to think of the traditional way in our industry is like used car sales from the 80s, mm -hmm. right? You're in person, but it's not like, hey, let's make a friendship. It's, you know, it's the haggling and the, yeah. but wait, there's more. And so it's not a relationship. It's just in person, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. By by bringing it into the virtual in, environment in, in, you know, simple things like there's an upfront price. Like people don't call us if they don't already like the price, right? And so we're not trying to sell you a thing. We're trying to facilitate a purchase. And so because we get all that off the table immediately, it allows us to get to know, you know, one of the things we train, we want to know every person living in this house and it, it's the parents yes but for a lot of these kids it it's the first time they're going to have their own bedroom um and it's an exciting time for them too and so the relationships i think are are, are much deeper the way we do it now um i mean i think our first customer leroy um i mean we're we're working on a, a car together five years after he bought a house from me um yeah. because at this point we're just friends right yeah you know and part of it he was he was a lead mechanic at anheuser Bush, bringing us, you remember, he'd bring us a case of beer every month. Mm -hmm. Like, Geekdom loved this guy just as much as we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were the stars of the show at Fermented Friday, and, and <laughs> it was the newest, latest, and greatest beer from anheuser Bush. But it, by getting rid of this whole sales transactional relationship and, and really allowing us to sit on the same side of the table as the customer, um, I mean, it's all phone calls and text and emails, but the relationships are much more legitimate and much more intense the way we do it now yeah that's so interesting i never thought of it until you put it that way on like used car salesman because i'm very much like like if i look at that kind of interaction it's very much like two different people coming together both have walls up and it's how mm. quick can we break down those barriers yeah. and get one or the other to move yeah how fast can you get me out of here basically yeah like, yeah. yeah it's just let's get this over with I, i'm yeah. not gonna enjoy it that's how most of those like are For approached sure. yeah and you start on defense on the defense that like they're gonna try and get something out of me or something like this but yeah. yeah i totally see that now where you know you're transparent you know the price and all that stuff does broston homes manufacture homes themselves um not at this point and i I don't know if, if we will. I mean, who, who knows? I didn't, I didn't know if we were going to do a fintech either. But, yeah, you know, when you look at Amazon and originally, they built that without building stuff, mm -hmm. right, and making stuff. They just built the way to buy the stuff. Yep. And at least at this point, that's that's really the path we're taking. Yeah. Is um, Do you have competitors that are seeing what y'all are doing? Because, I like, this is a really disruptive thing into this, that industry. That's an industry, like, like to your point earlier, a lot of people viewed as it's not broken. There's nothing. There's no need to fix it. Right. Um, but now, um, I, I guess especially after or during this kind of pandemic shift, do you see more companies that are coming to compete? As in, do it the way we're doing it. Mm -hmm. no. Why is that? I don't. So we, in our minds, we keep waiting for it to happen like we, we were actually we actually thought it was gonna happen a year after we started and in i don't 100 percent know right um 
all the data is public, so we get to see, you know, who's doing it, who's making it happen. And, and there are a lot of folks that do it the old way that are still being successful, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think a big part of that is is the industry, the customer side of this has never had another way for 40 years. And so there, we're, we still have to do a better job of letting more people know, like, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's still mass market accepted that this is the only way to do it. Um, you know, if you look at, we, we look at cars quite a bit and, and it took a while for Carvana and CarMax to catch on. Yeah. Um, the other big, big thing, and this, this really, I didn't really realize how big of a moat this was around the business. Um, until we, we got, we got an opportunity to visit with Graham about the upfront pricing thing. And he, he was talking about a, a car dealership group here in San Antonio that was trying to change that model to compete with CarMax, right? CarMax's model for decade plus has been, there's one price online. You, you don't haggle. Um, you can, I, I've tried. I went mm-hmm. three levels deep in the management structure, same price, right? I ended up paying exact. So there's just no haggling. And when that first rolled out, um, at first it was nuts, right? And then auto companies realized you have to change or, or this is, you're just going to die, right? Mm-hmm. And so the story Graham was ta- telling about this auto group in San Antonio, it took five years to to get them to that point, three to five years, I forget um, but in part because they had to gut their entire sales team and build from scratch, right? When you take a sales team, and, and we're talking senior management, middle management, the general managers, the sales managers, and then all the salespeople that are, you know, been there for a minute. When you take it from, hey, you can charge whatever you can get out of a customer and you get paid the more you charge from, hey, there's going to be one price. And we're not trying to hit home runs. We're trying to hit singles every and just get a lot of people on base, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of pushback. And, and I had seen that from from our industry when I tried to suggest things, right? Like at, at one of the companies that I'd worked in the past, we were our own biggest competitor, right? Like if I, as a general manager, got you on a house, and then you went to another store, you get a totally different price. And like, the general managers were competitive. So if John was the other GM, he would undercut my price to get you as his customer and take it away from me. And, and like operationally for the whole company, we just lost money as a company. That to me, <laughs> even at 24, like I knew I was young and dumb, but that just didn't make sense to me. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not a if you look at some of these companies, they have 300 plus locations across the country, the levels of regional management and, and all of that that have been doing it this way successfully for 20 mm-hmm. some years that doesn't you can't just change the way they've done it for 20 years and and so it sounds nuts to think that just something as simple as putting an upfront price is a competitive moat but it is yeah that's yeah it, it uh, and and I'm understanding a little bit more um why there was an adoption at Palm Harbor because it's not as easy as just like let's not do these cardboard signs anymore let's put up an upfront price right their whole sales structure the way that they've built the teams is around this these processes that have been set in stone for so long and so it's unrealistic to to totally change that model gut your sales team get get somebody totally that is a very expensive and operational nightmare yeah. and um, it could not work right there's always yeah and, and that's the risk hey what we're doing now is working yeah i, I think at this point, and I, I think at the senior leadership side of all these publicly, all, all these big, just all the industry, they're they they realize like the future is going to look more like that, and so we should probably do some stuff. And so we we've had we've been on a number of panels, and 
um, conferences and, and we're very open with the industry. Um, and, and the reason we're very open is because we, even though it, it's simple, mm-hmm. um, in, in theory, in execution, it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. And, and we, we just know by the time they get there, we're, I mean, we're five years ahead and God knows what we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, it seems like, and I, I say this word lightly for back of lack of better terms. It seems like it's easier to to start something new with this kind of mentality than it is to to you know train an old dog with new tricks. Um, yeah. so, when the dog's like that big, yeah, you know, billion, <laughs> yeah. billion dollar business big, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so today, so now we're at we're at Broston. Exciting things that are happening. Y'all have been. Um, helping families get into manufactured homes for how long since 2016 2017 uh broston officially launched our website january 20th that's what we celebrate as broston's official birthday oh okay january 20th 17 17 okay so january 20th 17 you've been doing it now uh for this long y'all are successful i mean y'all are doing amazing things um what does when your sales folks, your sales team, I know that's an, a super important part of, of Broston. Mm-hmm. Um, do they come from the industry? No, we, we intentionally will not hire from the industry. So what are you looking for in, um, like with your expertise in, in sales and marketing combined with Jason, mm-hmm. um, what do y'all look for in a successful salesperson? Um, you know, at this point that that's Jason's side of the world. He, he'd probably be better than me, but I, I think overall, you know, the main one, the main reason we don't want to hire from the industry is, is we just don't have the time to untrain. Yeah. Because it, it is so radically different. Not that there aren't, there are, there are some really awesome people in this industry that aren't part of Bronx. Right. And, and there, there are some really awesome people that legit care and, and want to help. Right. And, and do help. Um, but for us, the way we're doing it is so radically different. We just, so for starters, we look for a blank slate in terms of our industry, mm-hmm. right? And then there's really, if I look at our last two new hires, there, there's really two buckets. There's the, I have no sales experience, but I've been in fields where I have a track record of intensity and discipline at my craft, whatever it may be. And I, I'm open and I've shown that I can learn and, and apply, right? We, at this, our sales playbook's like 57 pages. We can teach anybody the process. Yeah. But behind that, it, it's, do you have the discipline? Do you have the, the intensity in the drive? You know, 95% of sales based on, on their close rate is taking nose to the face. Mm-hmm. So I do, do you have the, the mental toughness to take nose all day? And, and when that one person that needs us and is going to be the yes calls, like, you know, be emotionally there and, and just mentally there in the zone and be there for them. Right. Um, and then the other big thing, if they have no experience, the blank slate is, is do they care about what we're trying to do? Right. Everybody needs a job to make money. You can make money doing a million different things. Yeah. The beauty of what I think we're building is we get to make money and a difference simultaneously. And if you don't care about that second part, we don't, we don't want you on the squad. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the other bucket is, is the folks that have that 
proven track record of sales, mm-hmm. right? Traditional, the, sales. traditional sales. Mm-hmm. And, and so the other new hire came from, from that background, um, not in our industry, but traditional sales and, um, you know, sales as a profession is, is pretty much the same regardless of where you go. So if you can sell one thing and, and be successful over a period of time, then, then you can sell anything. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of overlap in like the principles and yeah. skills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the biggest thing is just, in that ability to take rejection and be okay yeah you know you know that part right there um that i see your staff and they hustle and it's a grind i mean they're i'll come on the weekend i'll see them on the weekend i'll see them after hours they're here early um how do you how does broston keep it like a an enjoyable environment because even though we see we see the employees here all the time and they're very easy to identify (laughs) frost and blue um like every time i see them they're all enjoying what they seemingly enjoying what they're doing Mm. how do you build that kind of culture in such an intense environment i think that's where we're the finding people regardless of the role that believe in the mission of what we're trying to do um i mean that that's the first first and foremost yeah um, beyond that, it's we're we're not sitting on a beach somewhere pointing and saying, "Hey, go go work your tail off and try to build something." We're right there with them, and yeah, um, you know, Jason's usually the first one in. I'm, I'm more of a nightmare owl, so I'm usually the last one um, working. And and you know, both of us are working Saturdays with them, and sometimes we're seven days a week. And so the other part is we're we're leading the way in terms of the work ethic and intensity, and and making sure that if we're asking them to do something that we're doing it if not more ourselves yeah um you know you like selling homes this uh non-traditional way i think it really benefited y'all in the when the pandemic hit because you were a lot of a lot of companies had to pivot into a, a more tech more innovative solutions you already had that how was that for you um I mean, it's it's a weird thing to talk about because this pandemic has been just so horrible for so many mm-hmm. and continues to be, right? Um, and so it was certainly a scary time for us too. I mean, we we lost 1.1 million in sales, just a bam, erased off the table in two first in two weeks, to the point where it was the scariest time of the business. We we did not honestly know if we were gonna be around. Uh, that we were still bootstrapped at the time a lot of it was just scary as i'll get yeah right? um and then very quickly things changed and, and the world kind of snapped out of it to a degree people went back to buying stuff left and right online and we were right about to open this this new dealership concept we, we launched it in may of last year 2020 knee deep in this pandemic just getting started right and the whole premise was, hey, it's a dealership. It looks like a dealership. There's real houses, just nobody there. Right? It's all video chat. Um, you know, you've got a question in one of the model homes. You know, hey, hey, portal call John, and, and we're there. If you just want to be left alone and do your thing and walk around, we get it too. That's why we built this. Like, you know, we're not there, breathing over your shoulder, kind of thing. So we we had built this, and th- this was about to launch anyway, because we built it. For a better experience mm-hmm. right We're, we've been in sales our whole lives but i, I don't want to talk to a salesperson mm-hmm. if i'm buying something i just want yeah. to buy it right leave me alone and let me just spend my money and so we had built it for that 
all of a sudden we're in the middle of this pandemic and um you know health and in and, and safety is a, a massive concern it becomes a major part of this buyer and customer experience and we just happen to have launched something that was now the safest way to buy a home because nobody's physically there yeah you're talking to a salesperson but we're we're downtown at geekdom or at that time we were we were all remote yeah um you know we're sitting at our house you're in one of our models and and let's do this thing yeah and so we just lucked out to be completely honest yeah it was right? a, it was a timing coincidental yeah. thing but yeah. but it's still in line with what y'all are doing like um you know what i see the benefit of of Boston homes and how it changed the industry is you're meeting these customers where they're at you know it's it's incredibly difficult to to get schedules to align because you know you don't want to go look at a home without your partner and then you got to deal with the realtor or whoever's going to be doing the thing but um but yeah so that that it that's an awesome next step to have that physical dealership because that was a question i had is how are your customers responding to um not only are they not meeting y'all but they're also not putting their feet on the ground of like this home that they're going to potentially be living in mm. um but i guess that's the solution now they're able yeah. to they're yeah. able to go there and, and y'all yeah. can still keep your model and you, you you hit it on the head meeting them where they're at there there are still our, our primary method of business is still people who stay at home and complete the whole process from their couch right but there was a large part of folks that it's a big part. I get it. Like I'd, I'd probably want to see it, touch it, feel it too. If, I, if mm -hmm. I'm buying a, you know, $50,000, $100,000 something. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had built it for them and now we got both. Um, and, and it's really about just listening. The customers ultimately tell you what they want when you're building a business, regardless of whether it's B2B SaaS or um, business cons to consumer, you're, you're cut. You got to build it the way your customer wants. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you want. For the person, the for the folks who are listening who have never stepped foot in a manufactured home, but do have their own perceptions about it, what what's something that you can tell them that they would not expect that a, a manufactured home would have that is similar to like the creature comforts we would expect in in other homes? Yeah, I mean at this point, there. You just can't tell the difference a lot. We're talking granite countertops, energy star rated, Ecobee thermostat, smart homes, um, you know, all the all the decorative stuff you see, farmhouse looks, and and to the point where you know we we are selling our house. We got a nice house. The oil field was real nice to us, and we got a nice big old house on on the the northwest side of town, and. Just not the life we want. So we're we're selling it. We're looking to buy a chunk of land, and throw throw a double wide on it, and yeah. and you know it's it it's a different lifestyle. It, mm -hmm. It's it's it, it's getting out to the country, slowing down a little bit, and and I think for our customers, beyond just the house, you know, the land around it to them is just as important. And and yeah. um, I think we're seeing a lot of people want to want to go back to that after COVID too. Yeah, when you for me, when I think about a manufactured home, I immediately think like cramped. Mm. I don't know why, but that's that's what I think. I think yeah. it's like small and um, but when you're talking about moving you, your wife, four kids um, to, you know, a double wide, mm -hmm. like what does that look like? Does everybody have their own room? Is there space? Is it similar to to what y'all are living in today? Yes. Yeah, so we're 
I mean, they make these things three thirty five hundred square foot. Um, you know, our our house now is like thirty one, thirty two hundred square foot. But what we would realize, and, and with young kids, I'm sure you have too. Wherever we're at, they're going to be right on top of us. I hundred <laughs> percent. I remember the first time you told me that. I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> so in our house, there's a lot of space just to have it, and, yeah. and you know, you got to clean that space, you got to air condition that space, you. It, cost money for this phase and it's yeah. just for us it, it's it's wasted right um but we're we're looking at a 2200 square foot house um super good size yeah um you know five bedroom three bath everybody i mean they they make them in double wides now yeah um granite countertops the whole thing um the the difference is because it costs so much less to build that way versus another way we you know we put 20 30 acres around it and, and keep the payment the same as as if it was the house it is now yeah got you yeah and, and i remember when you showed me because i was like no way dude like <laughs> but then when you showed me the the homes yeah it blew my mind i agree with you you can't tell the difference mm -hmm. like you know in, in my mind when i hear manufactured home i picture a home with visible wheels on it that like you know <laughs> that you can move and that's just not the case there's yeah. wraparound porches and like you know all these other amenities that yeah uh, you've come to be familiar with yeah the wheels are there just to get the blocks to the site right and then the blocks are assembled and, and wheels go away and decks and, and it, by the time it's done i mean concrete foundations all the stuff yeah all the stuff yeah right um i think what really when, when i'm trying to explain it to folks you know if you look at anything else we use anything building a factory mm -hmm. anything um and just like I mean, you look at a cell phone from 1970 compared to now, like the factories that build these houses have come a long way too. And, and the product has advanced so, so much. So, so much. I mean, Jeff, not Jeff, uh, Elon Musk, he's living in a factory built house, you know, a little, little tiny, now a little tiny home, 400 square foot, but um, all sorts of people. Right. Um, and, and these have to go through a, dang near hurricane to get to where they're going they're, they're going down the highway at 70 80 miles an hour and they show up in one piece like structurally that's how sound these are built yeah right um but we we're in the middle of this affordable housing crisis and, and covid's not making that better it, you can't continue to build things the way you always have as, as an industry construction in general and think that's going to change the price point at, at the end of the day right yeah ultimately what factory built housing allows you to do is take a six month build process and do it in four days. And so it's labor costs that's getting cut out. It's not quality of materials. These are two by four, 16 on, it, it's all the stuff you'd see in a regular house. Yeah. It's also not getting rained on for three months while it's built. If, <laughs> you know, if you're looking at a track built neighborhood, we, we've all driven by it, but we just accept it. Cause, oh, that's a real house. Yeah. Right. And I did too. Yeah. But I, I was living in, you look at the market right now. If you're trying to buy something under 200,000 in San Antonio, yeah, there's some real, quote, real houses out there. They're also 50 years old, 60 years old, need 60 to 70K worth of refurb. Um, and at the end of the day, they're just not built to 2021 standards. So yeah, insulation, all the things, right? But the, these are real houses. They're just built much more efficiently using technology. Yeah. It's ultimately what this industry is. Yeah, I think that... Uh phrase or calling it a manufactured home versus a mobile home right i think it's like kind of takes away that stigma for a lot of people too because mm -hmm. i noticed that it's like oh like when 
uh, my buddy Johnny Five, you know, went yeah. to work over there, you know, selling mobile homes, you know, it's like no manufactured homes, even just the way it sounds. Yeah, the language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, when so I'll tell you what I don't see the the staff doing, and maybe they're doing it in the dead of night. But I don't see them putting cardboard signs up <laughs> around uh, to sell these homes. So I do want to talk about that. Um, if y'all, if for those listening, if you don't follow Broston Homes on Instagram, social, any of those things, you absolutely should. Um, you do get insight into their customers and all that kind of stuff. Um, the marketing is very, very different. And I, I, you know, because we work so closely together and we're just, friends i've gone to the site i've gone i follow y'all and i do get ads from broston i don't get ads from any other manufactured home um what first my first question is how is your marketing broston homes marketing different from the traditional marketing of palm of like the folks like palm harbor and um second why yeah so I don't want to keep throwing one company under the bus. They're, they're all, they all do it the same way. Sure. Right? So it's the, it's the whole thing. But what's still different is those cardboard signs. When, when I drive down to our dealership to go see and check in on the team, and I still see them. Like, it's still a thing. Yeah. You know, thir 13 years later, that, in 2021, that is, that is still a thing. Um, yeah, they haven't just been up for 13 years. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you had to do it constantly because they – they weren't allowed to be there in, in the city or there are people whose whole job is to go rip those down. Right. Um, and so you're constantly combating with them. But the big thing is if you look at just the, the economics behind it, it is free for a business to have a whole, you know, army of, of cardboard sign putter uppers, right. Yeah. Especially at two in the morning <clears throat> in, in at you know, 23 and, and just need a job. You'll do it. Cause you need a job. Yeah. Um, but it's also not sustainable, right? So that's why the turnover is so high in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but it's free, right? You look at what, what we did, um, you know, when we raised the seed round, the first thing we did was create a creative team in-house. It was the absolute first thing we did. Um, and, and beyond that, you got to spend money to get people to see your ad. So it's not just you make a cool video and the world sees it. You got to tell people about it and get, and get the word out. And so it cost... It costs money to get that going. Mm -hmm. I think the other big part is it's not a, there's not instant gratification with it. You don't start it today. It's like, it's like a fitness routine, right? You don't start it and then see results in a day. That's not how that works. And it's the same with, with content marketing, which at the core is what we do, right? It is, it is a slow burn. It takes a lot of time and discipline and it, it's the consistency that makes it work at the end of the day. Um, and so if you're in an environment where let's say you're publicly traded and you go spend, you know, as a percentage, the money that we spend on marketing and content for your organization and six months later, you don't see a result, your shareholders are going to eat you for lunch. Yeah. You get it. Right. And whereas with the cardboard signs, they, it's free. Nobody complains about it. It's, yeah. not, it's, it's, it's not a big, big expense there. And so that is, that is the biggest reason. The other, the other reason at this point is. If you're trying to do digital marketing in, in our space, in our market where we're at, we've made it very expensive to compete. Mm -hmm. like, expensive to the point where it probably just doesn't make sense right now to try. Yeah. And that's our, our competitors. When we, that was the one thing they did try to copy. 
right? They did some ads and online. Oh, these guys just run ads online. Well, they stopped doing it because that's not all there is to it. It just didn't work for them. Yeah. You need the in-house team and the analytics folks and the people that are going to put the strategy together. Yeah. And then when people call, you need that the sales process in, in like the upfront price. And so none of what we do works in isolation. Yeah. You have to do all of it. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Alberto, this has been a great conversation with you. Um, I do want to pick your brain on some advice. And so I want you to um, like think back to the second Thanksgiving. Um, and, you know, it was a really, I think that was a really trying time for you. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give somebody who is in that, in a transition similar to that, that they didn't have that kind of control. It just, it happened. Mm-hmm. You're ambitious. You, you know that you want to do something. So what kind of advice would you give somebody in that position? Or would you wish that somebody would have given you? Man. You know, I think if I try to think back to how I felt at that time, the, the, the knee jerk reaction I had in, what I think a lot of folks feel when, when that happens to them, like a lot of people have been laid off recently during the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the first, I think it's a natural human reaction to try to figure out like, what did I do wrong? You know, what, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? What, what's wrong with me? Why did this happen? And there are times in business where you did nothing wrong and, and the business just couldn't afford to pay you. Right. Ultimately, when someone gets laid off, that that's what it comes down to. The business could not afford to pay you and, and they had to make some decisions. Right. And so when you think about it that way, instead of trying to figure out what you did wrong, you realize that, Hey, I did something of value that a company was willing to pay for until, until they couldn't afford to pay me. anymore, Right. And so the first thing is, is once you realize, Hey, I do something that people pay for, then it's, how do I do that again? Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's going to get a job um, and nothing wrong with it. You know, th- there's a couple founders now trying to do their own thing and they've, they've got a job. And I, I wish I would have had a stable income while trying to figure out Ross at the same time, maybe, maybe things happen the way they did. Cause we had no safety net and, and it yeah. just wasn't going to work if we didn't make it happen. But so the other part is once you realize you, you do something of value that companies have paid for in the past and like, you can do that again. If you decide you want to go do your own thing, it's just, it's not easy, right? I I don't want to shortchange it, but it's not over. It's not any more work really to, to build something and create enough income to sustain yourself as an individual, as you were putting in for somebody else. Yeah. Right. It just isn't. It's scarier. It's not a guarantee. Um, But if, if, Right out the gate, that's your first thing. I got to stabilize and create something and, and replace this income, right? And that's, again, it's not easy, but it's not as hard as you think. Yeah. Right? And, and it really, you were already doing what it took to do that for somebody else. So it's just doing it for yourself, right? That, that's the tweak right there. Yeah. And that was, as soon as that kind of got going, um, you know, once you're up and running, you're like, shit, why, why didn't I do this sooner, right? Um, but that that's it. Realize you do something that somebody paid for. You created some kind of value. And then how do you do it for yourself? And then um, you just got to jump off the cliff, right? And, and, yeah. and just trust that 
you you've put so much and worked so hard for other people that you'll figure something out for yourself yeah that that level of self-awareness um to to understand that you know i can shift my perspective and and get there that it's that's a difficult place to get to um you know and so i think um you know that putting yourself in the middle of a river might might have helped you get oh for sure for sure (laughs) yeah that that wasn't that that wasn't oh i got laid off and i'm thinking that way i mean uh, allow yourself to feel all the things feel 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 angry feel mad feel feel sad feel defeated um but eventually find your river and in you know start thinking the way we just talked about yeah dang find your river find your river that's it dude that's it. So before we end, what's your secret fishing hole? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Mr. JRG, if you would, please, sir, take us home. Absolutely. Thank you, Alberto, for joining us this morning. It was a great and insightful conversation, super inspiring. So we really appreciate you. How do people find out more about Broston and about you? Um, our, our website, FamoMobileHome.com. We're, we're all over the socials. Um, and if there's something I can help with, pretty well live on the eighth floor. You know, stop by. Let's talk about it. There it it is. is. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. And, uh, yeah, have a great rest of y'all's day. Thanks, everybody.